All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, and today we have an awesome guest. Her name is Jillian McLaughlin. Jillian is the Vice President President of Corporate Strategy and Development at Smart Labs. She's based out of Boston. Smart Labs is an amazing concept. I think something we're going to be seeing more and more of. It's, I feel like it's kind of like the WeWork for... Uh, for life science laboratory buildings, which, you know, life science is such a hot uh, asset class at the moment. She has an amazing background. She she worked for the New York uh, Economic Development Corporation, and she was a deputy chief of staff for the New York City Housing Authority. I saw the, I saw her at a at a conference, a life science conference, like, wow, this is an amazing company um, and something they're really thinking outside the box. So please enjoy her story. She's got some great tips. And as always, please listen rate review and share the podcast much appreciated thank you all right jillian thanks for coming Hello. on the podcast jillian mclaughlin thanks thank for coming you for on having me chris my pleasure how are uh, things in fasting everything is great in boston the weather started to cool off a bit and uh and it's getting so they can bike to work again it's too oh. impressively hot a couple of weeks ago. That's pretty cool. How far is your bike ride to work? It's about a 25-minute bike ride. Are you all geared up? Or are you kind of like a Danish biker? Kind of like a Danish More biker. Danish. I'm rocking some business casual clothes and strapping my backpack onto a basket. So it's I like that. not very gear-like. Yeah. yeah, there's some people that show up. To, I had a guy we used to work with, and he would show up full gear in New York. And like he would like be like going on subways and, and trains, like full gear, you know, just nice little tight shorts on. <laughs> right. Power <laughs> to those people that do it, but that's not, that's not yeah, my vibe. I like the Danish thing where they, it's like ding, 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 you know, excuse me. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> they have a baguette in the front basket. Um, well, cool. So you are, we, we, you were out here in the Bay area, um, at speaking on a panel. Unfortunately, I missed you because I'm out in the Bay Area. But you're you're the VP of Corporate Strategy and Development at Smart Labs. Um, That's right. And the panel, the it was a life science conference, right? By who who hosted that? Bizna hosted it. Now. It yeah. was a broader conference on real estate development, but I was on a life sciences panel. Yeah, that was yes, at that's it. What the future is like. Um, so it was it was pretty interesting, but we had a number of different panels that talked about housing and city planning and density. So it was a good representation across the real estate spectrum. Which was your favorite panel? The one you were on, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm a bit of a housing nerd, even though I don't work in housing right now. And so the city manager for South San Francisco talked about the need to build more housing. And that was something that was echoed across a couple of different panels. And I think that there is a realization that, San Francisco needs to figure out its housing and its transportation issues and that those two are intertwined and I think a real willingness and a push and an urgency to doing that, which is nice to see across the spectrum from the sort of political stakeholders as well as people in the real estate community. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. I think they've been talking about that for a long time. But I'm an optimist. Yeah. Well, me too. Except I've lived here for 10 years now. I'm like, anyway, we can get the whole backwards politics in san francisco but we're not here to talk about that we're here to talk about smart labs well i'll talk about you can you tell us about smart labs 
Sure. Smart Labs is a labs as a service company. Uh, what does that mean? I think that people often think that we are a real estate company, but we are actually uh, partners in our clients to help them accelerate their drug development. We offer a bundled space and services solution that helps companies get from the beginning of their research stage all the way through clinical trials, which is basically unheard of in, in one place. I think that you have companies that can build a solution themselves, but that's quite costly to mm. do through every stage of research. But the idea that you could just plug in and do all of your own work on an outsourced infrastructure platform and control all of your intellectual property is unheard of. And that's what we provide. That's pretty amazing. Can you give me an example of how it works? Like I'm like, what's a typical sort of, I don't know what you call the end user, like tenant, what do you, client, what, what's it? What's a, typical, what's a typical client of yours? A typical, we take confidentiality really seriously, so I can't name names, but I would say that a typical client is a very well-funded venture-backed uh, startup that has raised $100, $200 million and is looking to hit their clinical milestones as fast as they can. Or it's a large enterprise company that has a research team that is doing some really novel science and they need really advanced, validated, FDA-compliant infrastructure and operations to serve them. And so we have had the, the privilege of having some of the who's who for cell and therapy companies, really advanced biologics companies come through our space, hit their milestones, and really shorten the time period from an idea to a patient, which is something that I'm really proud of. Yeah, I mean, so you... Are they, when they're shopping around for space to do their work, do they go on like, how do they find you? How do they find a smart labs? Like, does it happen to be just like they're looking at different laboratory space and some of them have, are associated with smart labs or like what's, I don't know the ecosystem and how it all works. It's really a mix. I think that we have some companies that come and are really looking through space. So they'll go through broker channels and then you've got other companies that are really looking for a solution. And so we've built up a brand and a reputation as being not just a real estate solution, but actually experts in infrastructure and engineering and how you commercialize therapeutics. So we'll have clients that come to us that have been in our program before and say, hey, I know you guys do this really, really well. Mm. This is my research program. What can you do for me? And then or how are you? I mean, life science, laboratory. I mean, this is uh, strictly real estate side. It's you know one of the if not the hardest, hottest asset class out there. Um, like, why is that? Why, why, why is life science now such a, I mean, weren't we doing R and D before and all this stuff or is it, why is it so accelerated though? That's a great question. I think I'm not an expert on this, but I have a couple of hypotheses to borrow the parlance of my colleagues. I think that one reason is that the cost of doing certain kinds of research has just fallen so dramatically. And I think a lot of that is basically getting returns on government invest, investment in sequencing the genome. It's a lot cheaper and faster now. I think that there's the ability to take more shots on goal with, mm. uh, with lower capital. And then I think that there's a couple of examples that you have that are really breathtaking on the commercial potential of a lot of these technologies and their application to patients that has really attracted a lot of venture capital investment. I think that science is really, I, I think if Facebook and Amazon and all these other companies basically transformed how we lived through digital infrastructure, I do think that we are at the beginning of somewhat of a renaissance for life sciences. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, I remember New York was like trying to designate areas as life science hubs. And how does Smart Labs find their real estate? We have some really great partners that we've worked with throughout the, the years to find our real estate. So we've got a combination of investors that have helped us make the right connections and incredibly grateful to them. And then we've got a, a great team in, in Boston at Cushman and Wakefield that also helps us source properties. So you're looking, you're looking to partner with folks that are already building laboratory life science space, right? Is that correct? Or? That's correct. Historically, we've partnered with a number of different landlords and we take traditional leases from them and build out our specific space and run our operational program within an existing life sciences building. And then you sublease it to these, your tenants? Is that how it works? We don't do, we don't do lease agreements, but we do a service contract model. Okay. And then what, uh, I mean, that type of real estate is super complicated because of all like the environmental codes and all this other right. stuff. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, that's pretty much the only words I know environmental code <laughs> for this. Uh, what, right. what, I mean, what sort of specifications do you need to add to different laboratory life science? Like what, what do you provide? I mean, everything, I guess, but like, how do you, are you very specific to different like companies or is it just one kind of floor plan or one, one blueprint, not floor plan, but blueprint to how you, you service every client? I think that there's definitely a framework that we use to customize spaces quickly for clients. I think that what we found historically is that a lot of the traditional way of doing build outs has required a really long lead time to get it ready for clients. And that's part of the value that we bring is that we can do this rapid customization for clients who want to move quickly. And that matters a lot more for, it matters all the time. I think time is money. It's something that people say all the time, but it actually matters more for biopharma. We've got this patent clock that's ticking and then being first to market versus second to market really matters when you're bringing a therapeutic. So that's that's our value is figuring out how to customize quickly in addition to all of the operational services that we provide, which are incredibly robust and we think improve the quality of outcomes for our clients. And what is a, cer a certain like client, like how long does a client stay with you? Is it like, like I don't know, how do these try, how long does it take to, What's the, what's the terminology they use to, to do the studies? How long does it take to do the studies and, and the, the, all the work that they're doing? Like, is it, is it 10 years? Is it six months? I, I mean, what's the typical term of stay? Well, we've only been around since 2015. So we find that clients are staying longer and longer with us. We have some clients that have been with us since the, the beginning, and we're really proud and privileged to have them with us as they've met different milestones and grown and gone public and done really great things for the world. So it really varies, I think, depending on the, the client and what they're trying to do. The average time it takes to, I think, discover a drug, and don't quote me on this, but to get it actually approved by the FDA, I think is around seven years. Okay. And so if you can accelerate the timeline that people need to get their work started by 18 to 24 months, which is some of the time savings that we think we offer clients. It's tremendously valuable, but it really varies depending on the research that people are doing. Yeah. And then, so what's, what's your role? Are you like you're doing, what's you're, my role? you're a scientist. No, but you're <laughs> like, you're, your development. I mean, you're pushing, growing the company, right? Um, how, how are you doing that? 
in partnership with a lot of people that have technical knowledge. So one of the things that I get to do that I think is a really fun part of the job is to think about where we expand and how we expand. And so we are expanding into a third geography in Philadelphia, and I helped work with our team to really assess that market and the opportunity. And and that's one of my you know, biggest mandates is to think about where should we be growing, building, looking. And, and that's really fun because it's basically saying, where do we think science is going to go? What do we think it's going to look like in the future? Is what are you, yeah, what are you looking for? And what you know, does I science think, look like in the future? Aliens, right? Tell me, tell me the <laughs> truth. It's aliens. It's aliens. Uh, you know, you're asking me all these questions that make me wish that I had paid more attention in high school, biology or chemistry. Well, you don't have shape. to answer technically, but what are you looking yeah. for when you're getting into a new market? I think that we're looking for we're looking for growth. I think that we're looking for growth. And what that means to me is really who is doing the most interesting, complex science that is likely going to take off in the next 5, 10, 15 years, because we're we're building a company for the long term. And so Boston and San Francisco, it's not very difficult to see why those are great places to grow. They've got an incredible density of companies that are doing really interesting work. You've got the venture capital, you've got the talent, you've got the ability to commercialize a drug, which is not easy and that is not evenly dispersed across the country. And then places like Philadelphia, you've got this know-how that has been developed over the past 15 years that was able to successfully develop a cell and gene therapy that was used for a patient. That's really, really, really difficult. But once you start to see that development and commercialization, that knowledge ends up being very local and I think quite hard to disperse. So that's that's what we're really looking for. Where is the interesting science happening? So you were at this con- you were at the conference in the Bay Area, and it was talking about growth in the Bay Area. Um, I see it in my town, I live in San Carlos, um, which is on the peninsula. What is the? I mean, just specifically about the Bay Area. What, what's this, what were people talking about in the panel, and what were you talking about as far as like growth of life science, real estate in the Bay Area? I mean, there's been a lot of excitement about life sciences, real estate, but then clearly some headwinds for the industry, given the crazy volatility from the public markets right now. And so there was a question just how much is is too much life science space? That was one of the questions on the panel. (laughs) I think that, you know, we're very, very bullish on the Bay Area. We are very, very bullish on South San Francisco. It's got a lot going for it, including some of the, the best talent and the best companies and we think that it ends up being a hugely productive flywheel for the area. But I think that at the same time, there's some of the outlying areas where it's maybe far from the core of where research is happening today that I think are going to struggle a little bit in the short term. Oh. You still see very healthy VC investment in California and in the Bay Area. So we're not we're not worried about that. Hmm. Okay. Is there more competition for life science? I mean, there's a big there's a couple big boy big players out there in the life science space, right? Um, are you finding that there's more competition in the space or, is there, or do you have any competitors doing? I never heard of a firm that does what you do. Are there, are there other firms that out there like that? I think we're unique in what we offer. I think that we've been lucky to find a, a model that really works for us where there's high barriers to entry. And I think that that combination of, of services is proven valuable to our clients. So we haven't found any direct competitor for, for what we offer. Gotcha. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. 
So who who founded Smart Labs? Like, wh- were they someone frustrated with they couldn't find space for themselves that was affordable and efficient? And or like, how did how did it come about? The two co-founders of the company are Amrit Chaudhary and Seth Taylor. Amrit was a is a protein chemist, and he had started a contract research organization that was doing outsourced work from biopharma. And then Seth Taylor was. Uh, is a PhD in, I think, molecular biology. And so he'd been a researcher and then had gone more on the consulting side for companies. And then both of them intuited through their work that there were changes coming in the industry and that the the shift to more complicated science and all these novel discoveries was going to require companies to start thinking about different ways to resource themselves. And so that's how Smart Labs was born. That's amazing. And then, it is. yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> um, how did they find you? How were they lucky enough to find you? How did they find me? Uh, I've, I've actually known Amrit for over a decade, just personally. And then my background is more of a jack of all trades background. I have some background in real estate, a lot of background in policy, and then a lot of background in just fixing things or getting certain projects done. Yeah. So one of the special things about Smart Labs, I think, is that it really blends a lot of different disciplines. And so they were looking for somebody that was multidisciplinary. Multi- Sorry, <laughs> I will say that's that okay. <laughs> they were looking for somebody. Yeah, thank you. They were looking for somebody that uh, could be translational across certain disciplines to get to get things done. And so that's why I joined Smart Labs. Well, tell me about Jillian. Were you like one day hanging out with a bunch of science geeks in high school and were like, man, I wish I could just spend the rest of my life hanging out with science geeks. Or were you like, how did you, how did you get into, I mean, you kind of came through the real estate side. Did you have an interest in real estate growing up? I mean, did you have a, were you exposed to it at all? Like what what was your kind of, where'd you, where'd you grow up? Um, Tell me, take me through your journey here. Take, take you through my journey. I grew up in Michigan. I actually didn't think about real estate very much until I went to grad school. I'd always been interested in politics and policy. I was the nerdy kid that would read my parents' newspaper and want to be in the middle of every... Yeah, that's like me. That's like me. One of my childhood heroes was Bill Bradley, and I met him at the airport, like, (laughs) not that long ago. Um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And everyone's like, Bill Bradley with one of your... Like, the basketball player? I'm like, no, the senator. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally relate. I think that, uh, you know, my heroes were politicians and policy wonks, and I thought that that was the coolest thing you could do. And I ended up going to policy school and being really interested in urban economics and urban planning and economic development. And when I was thinking about what to do after graduate school, I really ended up honing in on real estate as somewhat of a physical embodiment of policy. Mm. I think you can't really look at the built environment and not think about land use and taxation and transportation and social programs and policy, especially because I worked in New York and I think that it's all so complicated there. So I got really Tell us about that. Uh, Yeah, sorry. You got interested in it. Yeah. So I got really interested in real estate for that reason. It was something that ended up using all these different parts of my brain and I just found it very interesting. It's, It's not boring. And how did you, like, what was your, how was your entree into real estate? 
I worked for the New York City Economic Development Corporation, which is New York City's economic development agency. And I worked on their real estate team, putting together public-private partnerships and doing analyses and studies on major economic development projects. And that was my entree into the real estate world. And it was a tremendous experience and a lot of fun. And you got exposure to many different asset classes, which I think is unusual to get on the private side. So I was glad to get it on the public end. I've always heard the public side, you get like when you're younger, you get exposed to things that you wouldn't get exposed to like until you're older and like the private side generally. Kind of throw you in and you have mentors and managers and all those things, but I think that you definitely get the experience to be in rooms that you may not be in on the on the private end and to try new things. And it's it's a great opportunity. I think if I was asked to give advice to college Jillian, it would be to go straight to working in the government because government doesn't have infinite resources. So they need to make use of the resources yeah. they have. And that is sometimes you. So Yeah, that's awesome. Do you still use a lot of that training now? All the time. I think, I think government has to deal with really weird things that are somewhat novel. And so in thinking about how you would value different projects, you know, I think about that all the time. What, mm. what are good rules of thumb you can use? How can you try to triangulate certain kinds of information? If you're going into a new situation, what do you do? And then I think one of the things you have to learn in government is how to speak to different audiences that have different types of backgrounds. So you have to be really, really good at trying to tailor your message and to speak clearly. And so those things I think are always useful and be prepared for the questions that you're going to get asked. So all of those things together, I think I, I use every day. And although grad school was a great experience, I think that my three years working for EDC were basically my training. Yeah. But then you worked for uh, NYCHA too, briefly, right? For I did. City. Yeah. How was that? But do you, so you stayed in government. You liked, you kind of liked that path initially. Um, right. I mean, chief of staff is deputy chief of staff is a pretty big role, right? Um, what were you doing there? <laughs> it's, uh, I, I did a lot of different things. So the New York City Housing Authority you know, provides 175,000 apartments for between 400 and 600,000 New Yorkers. And, and there's a lot of things to do. So I, I worked with, I worked with the, the mayor's office to try to bring in new sources of funding for repairs that desperately needed to happen for the residents that live there. I worked on some organizational reforms to make certain processes faster because residents deserve the best service. And, and then I worked on, uh, I worked on other policy issues, including the HUD agreement that the authority entered into to basically reform itself. It's, I think the largest agreement, it has to be the largest agreement that the, um, that the federal government has ever entered into for a public housing oh, wow. agency that had very clear metrics for the service that residents were supposed to get, which incredibly proud to have worked on that. And, and really has, I think, set the authority on a course for for success and, and reform. So you got to kind of use your policy wonk-ish. Yeah. Scratch the itch a little bit or a lot of it. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so I mean, I guess, I mean, you kind of have to do this, like with, with, with life science work, is it also often involved with like public-private side of things too? Is there any like correlation to what you're doing now? Like, do you work with public side of things? Do you have to come into, like, a new city? Do you need to get, like, 
you know, grease some elbows <laughs> or grease some, <laughs> grease some palms. Sorry. I mean, I don't, in some instances, yes, but I think that more, more what I would take away from that is a generalized skill to try to understand where people are coming from, what their constraints are, and then how you work through them. I think that government is not unique in that way. Communities are not unique in that way. I think that whether it's a private client or a government, just having that hat on is useful. And then I think, at least for, for me, when I became the deputy chief of staff for the New York City Housing Authority, there's 11,000 people that work there roughly. You learn very, very quickly that you're not gonna be a subject matter expert in almost anything. And so then you have to start to ask the right questions. And so I think the most analogous thing for my role now is the ability to figure out what questions you have to ask of deeply technical experts to try to move a project forward. And then you're like, enough of this public stuff. No, you're like, let me help. You know, are you mission driven? I mean, because working on the public side, a lot of times people are mission driven. It sounds like you're mission driven with that. You said you're previously you're really into housing. Um, like, what's the mission behind what your smart labs and what you're currently doing? Um, so the pandemic really affected me as it affected everybody in New York. And so when Amrit called me to talk with me about what Smart Labs was doing and how he really saw their growth, I wanted to be a part of it. It ended up being really, really convincing that we were really changing the landscape for life science and really making it faster to get a cure to patients by enabling some of this acceleration for the companies that were going through our program. And so that was very appealing to me. I think as somebody who doesn't really consider herself to understand any kind of science. I thought it was a miracle when <laughs> the COVID vaccine was discovered within 48 hours. And then you yeah. basically look at that discovery. And then it was everything else that happened after that, that was really kind of the break on getting it to ordinary people. It was like figuring out how to manufacture at scale, figuring right. out how to distribute it. And, and I think the day that we found out in New York that people at my agency were going to be eligible for the vaccine just was the best day in a yeah, lot of dark yeah. days. So then I, when I was like, oh, I could be part of a company that does this on a regular basis for people that are suffering from X, Y, Z, you know, that's, that's pretty special. Yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you're getting drugs out faster and, you know, science, um, accelerating science, science ex accelerating science. That's hopefully helping, you know, the, the world. Science. I'm a very impatient person, so I like when I like when I'm part of something that helps speed things up. Yeah, it's like why is this taking so long? Like why? It's, why? And also like, I mean, it's overused term disruptor, but it's you know just because it was done one way doesn't mean it has to be done like that forever. A hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. And so you're breaking into new markets. You said you just got in the Philly. We did. We just signed a lease to go into Philly in the University City area. So we're right in the middle of a lot of institutions that have done some really incredible research. And, and they're spinning out a lot of different companies that are building off of that knowledge that was created by a lot of the universities and hospitals there. Mm. And so we think it's a, it's a great place to be. And so just operationally, like, do you have... So you have the scientific expertise in-house of how to like what needs to be in each of these spaces, right? 
And then you have project managers, like construction managers who are used to building these things out. Right. right. And then do you have, do you also operate the, those properties, those, not the properties, but the actual spaces they're in. Cause you're not taking over whole buildings, right? It's like a floor maybe, or. We have some full buildings in our portfolio, but, but what we're really doing is everything but the research we are doing it. We are doing compliance. We are doing training. We are doing uh, food and beverage programs. We are fixing things. We're reconfiguring your lab. If you need that, we're setting it up. We're advising you on layout. It's really a partnership with our, our clients at the end of the day. Okay. It's, yeah. Okay. Wow. Operation team. What's the five-year plan? Do you have a five-year plan? With we do have a five-year plan. We want to expand our solution to um, to increase our footprint in Boston. We want to increase our footprint in the Bay Area. We're really bullish on those places. We're excited to open up in Philadelphia. We've um, got five sites that are open, a sixth that is going to be opening, and and we really think that our model is valuable. So we're hoping to probably add a million square feet on both coasts. Wow. It's a lot. Well, if you come out to the West Coast again, give me a holler. LA, maybe? Is LA even? I mean, San Diego, right? Is more of a life science hub than LA, right? I mean, LA and San Diego are both really, really interesting markets. We've, we've looked at LA if it was, um, I, I think for the right project, we would go to a lot of different places. LA is not on our shortlist for immediate expansion, but I think that it's definitely an interesting market that's got really innovative companies that are there and LA is a lot of fun. Yeah. I like LA. It should be a song called I love LA. Um, is, is that a song? Yeah, there is. I a feel song. like, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's... My pop culture knowledge is not super extensive. So naked, naked gun. That's the, uh, the beginning of the song. I love yeah. LA. All right. Well, you told me it's getting to be like, it's autumn. It's getting to be autumn weather, sweater, weather, sweater, weather, sweater, weather. It's, it's at least you're not totally sweltering in a t-shirt weather. Well, are you ready for the hot seat? Sure. Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofit startups and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple of days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. These are the questions we ask all our guests. Very hard questions. So don't get them wrong. Okay. Do you have a book or po- and or podcast recommendation? Oh, one of my favorite, I don't read a lot of fiction, but one of my favorite books is a fiction book that I read called Deacon King Kong by James Oh, Conrad. I read that. I just read that. Did you love it? Yeah. I just yeah. read it. It's not everyone incredible. listening has. 
not everyone listening has, so I'll give a quick synopsis is it's a story that is loosely set at the Causeway Houses, which is obviously a stand-in for Red Hook Houses in Red Hook. And it's got such an interesting cast of characters and it really is just an incredible book about New York City and about people. And I just wanted to read it more than once. <laughs> Very well written. It's extremely well written. All about their lives and stuff. It's great. Yeah. The elephant. Yeah. Elefante. Elefante. Do you listen to podcasts at all? I do. I do. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think that one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is Hardcore History. Oh, Have yeah, you- yeah. Yeah, Hardcore History's like, and then he took his skull. Yeah, I love that guy. Dan Brown. Dan. Uh, Carlin. Carlin, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. If you ever want to pass four hours quickly, you could do no worse than to. Uh, that was the first podcast I ever listened to, Hardcore History. So I didn't even know what podcast was. Someone's like, you got to listen to this. It's it's really incredible, and you have no idea when he starts the podcast where he's going to go at the end of it. He's like, have you ever thought about what if your mother decided she didn't love you anymore? Yeah. And this is exactly what happened in the Pacific during World War II. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and the way he talks, he, he does a lot of research for that. that. He must do a lot of research for that one. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's... I, I, I don't think I don't think he's a PhD. I think he's entirely somebody that is super passionate about history and just has aggregated all this information. So it's it's really incredible. Yeah, he's a good one. That's the first time someone recommended that one. Um, do you have any advice for anyone looking to start out in this field, whether it's real estate or yeah, I guess real estate in, in general. I think for real estate, it's probably important to be resourceful. I remember. The first class that I took on real estate finance at, at grad school, they, the professor basically asked, he gave us an assignment and it was to underwrite a property. And it was very confusing how to do it because it was about parking spaces and how much revenue you could get and how much it would cost. And I just thought, well, how am I going to do this? I have no idea what this costs or how much money you would make. And did my did my best, but then went into class the next day and he expected people to have answers because he thought that they would figure it out and call people. And, and I hadn't <laughs> done that. And so then I figured it out by the next class and, and oh. didn't, didn't screw it up. But I think that one of the things about this field is that nobody's going to tell you the right answer. You're going to have to form your own opinion about how things are going to work out. And so I think being resourceful and being able to draw on a lot of different fields and experts and data sources is really important. So that's the advice I would give is that people that can really try to find more than one path to get to an answer are going to do really well. That's great. Yeah. Why don't you just call up an owner or like see how they do it or figure out, you know, what they're, you know, what, what it costs to park there. Or, right? right. I mean, or Google parking rates, Google parking rates, like Googling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really just that simple. Right. Or you can just go like on, Get some comparable prices on uh, what should we call it? The um, what tube is it? What's it? What's that one? The one the uh, where you get the commercial listings. Uh, I don't know. Uh, new LoopNet. Oh, LoopNet. Yeah. Yeah, LoopNet. CoStar. That gives me all my RSVs. What is your most memorable project? That's a good question what i do <laughs> yeah that is literally what you do <laughs> uh 
think my most memorable project. Doesn't have to be one. I worked on a lot of different things. I think it doesn't have to be what? Doesn't have to be one. It could be a couple. Just like when someone asked me about your best friends. Right. <laughs> well, I think one of my most memorable projects is not a real estate project at all, but during COVID, a lot of a lot of city employees were just pressed to do things that they hadn't done before. And one of the things that I helped set up with, with a team and a couple of other agencies was an outdoor learning program that enabled oh, about cool. 300 schools to basically have dedicated space within parks to do lessons for their students. And, and I think that that was one of my one of my favorite projects because we were able to stand that up very quickly. And, and I think it mattered a lot to, to the students and the teachers and the parents that were able to use that program. I think on the real estate end, one of my favorite projects was working on a new tech office building in Union Square when I was at EDC. Oh, cool. Yeah, it just, it just opened. They signed Sequoia Capital, mm -hmm. which is their first location, I think, outside of the, the West Coast. But that was a... I think it was just a fun project. It was a new ground up development. I think it's 21 stories. And with a, with a team, because real estate's a team sport, I ended up taking it from basically a request for proposals from developers all the way through the entitlements and the approval process. And it was nice to work alongside a community to figure out what they wanted and how we could make that, that happen for, for them. So I'm hoping that that we found the right balance. You're a creator, huh? I'm a person that gets bored very easily, so I have to be doing lots of different things all at once. I love that reading project, though. That's pretty. That's amazing. I mean, that's real estate related. You're using space, you know? Yeah, it is non, uh, non-commodified non real estate. That's what parks are. <laughs> non-commodified so. real estate, yeah. Except for the Jersey Shore, which you've you got to pay to get on. Really? Oh, yeah. You're going to need a badge. Huh, I did not know that. Yeah, I was shocked when I moved to California. You can get on the beach for free. I, I did not know you couldn't get on beach. Well, I mean, maybe off-season, like during like the summer peak seasons, like from like whatever, the morning till night, you got to get by a badge. Wow. Crazy, right? I, I do think that's one of the best parts about New York City is really how much is for free, just these breathtaking public spaces that have a lot of programs, too. And that's, yeah. That's that's the best part about New York City is everything that you can do for free. It's a very expensive city, but the free stuff's pretty great. I'm hoping they start doing more of that here in San Francisco. Take the yeah. lead from New York. Um, now, what do you, maybe you can tell me if you can answer this or not, but like, what do you look for when you're hiring people and or maybe partnering with people? Like, is there certain characteristics? I think for hiring people, it's the same answer that I would give in thinking about advice for somebody that wants to go into real estate is I, I look for people that are resourceful, that can think independently, that will challenge assumptions and that really are versatile in how they look at the world. So, so that's, that's generally what I look at. I think that that's important. And then beyond that, I think that there's a lot of research that shows that diverse teams perform better. And so I think that when I'm looking to hire somebody specifically, I'm looking at how they complement uh, my my skill set or worldview, and and I think that that's pretty critical. That's I love that. Um, 
you kind of already answered this already, but how does your real estate have impact? This is the impact real estate podcast. Right. <laughs> well, I think that the way that we implement our solution in leased buildings through our service platform for our clients helps accelerate drug development. It helps companies take more shots on goal. It helps them do it in a capital efficient solution. And it saves them time and a headache that they would normally have to worry about handling all by themselves. And so I think that that's incredibly impactful. If you're waiting for somebody to figure out a cure for someone that you love or for yourself, you don't want to wait an extra day. So I think that that uh, is incredibly important and why we do the work that we do. Wow. That was good. Concise. I try. Oh, you did. You, you do and succeeded. Well, Jillian McLaughlin, VP of Corporate Strategy and Development with Smart Labs, thank you for coming on the podcast. That was great. Thank you. Thank you.